The Start On Demand. On demand. The Winnipeg Jets were considering the possibility of relocating their home games to a jurisdiction where they could play in front of fans. So a place like Saskatchewan, for example. We learned after our show that that is no longer the case. But in the meantime, on our show this morning, we spent a lot of time discussing that possibility. We also talked about drones and healthcare after a drone delivered an AED to a patient in Sweden and saved that person's life. We spoke to the Canadian doctor working to bring a drone into healthcare delivery here. We learned more about coyote hazing and we spent some time asking the question, have you ever been stranded? I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb and this is the Friday, January 7th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, welcome to Friday. Greg Mackling, do you fancy yourself a trip to, say, Saskatoon? Oh, well, not usually, no, Brett. Uh, That's usually not the first thing on my list, visits to Saskatchewan, unless there's sports involved. Yeah? (laughs) Perhaps. Hey, uh, this story coming out of out of the Winnipeg Jets, and uh, Elliot Friedman broke the story last night. We'll talk about it throughout the morning. This idea that the Winnipeg Jets are contemplating playing games outside this market has ruffled a few feathers for sure. And for those of us with a little bit of a rivalry in our blood with Saskatchewan, that's maybe rubbing some salt into the wounds as well. But, you know, Saskatoon is is maybe one of the only places or you know that's being talked about right now but is it the only place that the Winnipeg Jets are considering we don't know for sure we don't know for sure if Saskatoon is in fact the place they're looking at but Elliot Friedman who's quite the insider that's what he suggests that uh, last night that that Winnipeg is looking at moving some of its home games to Saskatchewan because there are no COVID-19 restrictions in place but Loren that's only for now well, it's funny that you, that the, the suggestion was Saskatchewan because when I brought the story up in my house last night saying, oh, wow, the Winnipeg Jets have sent out the survey to season ticket holders to get their thoughts on the team playing home games elsewhere. The first reaction in my house is, oh, are they talking Minneapolis or somewhere mm. just south of the border or maybe using the Grand Forks arena? And I was like, oh, I don't know if that makes sense for a lot of fans because there's all the requirements for testing and coming and going, but people mm. could then make a big weekend out of it. And, you know, if there are people who are cross-border shopping and you could have deals and, you know, we just had this whole crazy went down the rabbit hole of what if. And I'd love to know what fans think about this because personally, when I saw this, I thought, uh-oh, I know, like the, the spirit <laughs> of the public health orders is for people to do the best they can a, 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 in those health orders, not find workarounds. For the health order. So I think this is going to generate a lot of reaction. We did ask the Jets uh, if they could bring someone on with us this morning to speak to this and explain further what they're looking at. And the answer was just that, you know, we're exploring alternatives to playing in an empty building. We're looking and consulting with a number of stakeholders. And no, we will not do an interview. So that's where we're at right now. All right. So we'll have more on that coming up at 637 also should give you a heads up, just a quick heads up, that as I was driving or getting a ride into work today, I was in my taxi uh, over the Osborne Bridge. I looked to my right down to the Assiniboine, and it looks like the, the, the river trail is ready to go all the way to Osborne because I know that they just opened the, the first stage at the Forks Port, but it, uh, you know, the ice looked clean. They had the, the Christmas trees laid out. They put out the call for your, you know, if you've got a Christmas tree you're looking to get rid of, the Forks would happily take it, and they had had them all the way down, uh, and I know yesterday they were working on the west side of the bridge as well, uh, moving all the way around to around the bend towards Hugo. So um, I would imagine maybe by this weekend that'll be officially open. I did see some people already out there walking on it uh, as it was yesterday when I got home from work. So, but that's exciting, uh, Loren, especially after yesterday's conversation about burnout. Uh, yeah. That's the kind of thing that can be a huge pick me up. 
Yeah, I think I said to you, people need this trail now more than ever, and I'm not trying to sound dramatic. It's just that you're looking for things to do with your family or, or with yourself or with your friends. You're looking for spaces that are outside. You're looking to get outside for fresh air. I was reading a story out of Global Edmonton this morning about this dad who said his backyard rink has just been a lifesaver over the holiday period and into potential periods of remote learning or other because it's this that one place they know they can go to. It's like this little haven he's created for them in this, you know, 12 foot by 10 foot rink and so to have kilometer upon kilometer of skate trails to hit with the festive trees all along them I just think it's a man we know we love this trail and that Winnipeggers flock to it in the tens of thousands hundreds of thousands in some years and I think this year we're going to see that again uh, it's, it, it's therapy for a lot of people at the best of times right it's that it's that connection with uh, with nature, let's be honest, right? In the heart of the city, we've talked about this before, that seeing the city from the river gives you a completely different uh, interpretation and interaction with our city. Our rivers have been, you know, notorious for baby being underutilized. And now here we have this uh, great relationship with the river and uh, maybe as you say, Loren, needed now as much as ever. And Brett, I know you like to take advantage of that. What's it like having it right in your own backyard? Not necessarily to skate, but you know, lots of people will walk along that trail. Cross country ski, cross country skiing, yeah, cycling, all sorts of great <laughs> yeah, stuff. Right. Uh, I want to get you like one of like a like a really slick cross country tight <laughs> outfit with helmet and goggles and gloves and maybe a rifle because you could do biathlon and then you're just you're gonna go for it man it's gonna be your new 2022 is gonna be all about the biathlon for brett i can just see the headline headline now a misguided biathlete uh, arrested on the assiniboine (laughs) river trail (laughs) what do you mean i can't bring a rifle down here officer (laughs) no let me show you i'm gonna shoot at some targets after It's just targets. (laughs) Oh, that's magnificent. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And uh, we are talking drones after 7 o'clock, Loren? Okay, so picture this. In Sweden last month, a 71-year-old man is out shoveling snow. We know snow. Warnings come every winter, right? Heavy snow can lead sometimes to people experiencing heart attacks. Well, that happened to this man. Someone sees this going down, calls 911, starts CPR. Three minutes later, what does he hear flying overhead? A drone delivering a defibrillator, which was used to help save that man's life. So we're going to talk to a doctor in Toronto who's been working for the past couple of years to see how drones can really augment EMS, emergency services, in that city and other parts of the world. But the headline is a drone delivering a defibrillator. And wow, is my reaction. So we're going to share more about that story just after seven. That's yeah. When I saw that on the schedule, I thought that sounds cool. (laughs) So just the, the it's neat. I think I still think the the novelty of drones will never quite go away. But the fact that they're finding these, you know, important uses for them, that's great stuff. So more details coming up just after seven o'clock. In the meantime, we touched on this a half hour ago. The question: Could the Winnipeg Jets be hitting the road for home games? Okay, so here's how it all went down last night. Brett Loren, while the Winnipeg Jets took to the ice for the third game of a three game road trip through. Las Vegas, jam-packed arena. Glendale, Arizona, could have been jam-packed, wasn't. And Denver, Colorado, before 15,171 fans at the Mile High City, a tweet from Elliot Friedman got hockey fans not only in these parts, but right across the country talking. It reads in part, Earlier tonight, the Winnipeg Jets sent out a survey asking season ticket holders their opinion on the possibility of home games in another jurisdiction it is believed the jets are exploring playing some games at saskatoon sastel center while there are attendance restrictions in manitoba so i got my hands on the survey and i can tell you that among the questions asked were questions like assuming provincial health orders permit what is your likelihood to attend winnipeg jets home games in the coming weeks if true north maintain the same level of restrictions there were in place at the start of the season, mask wearing and proof of double vaccination for the following scenarios. It asks about attending at full capacity and at 50% capacity 
that then asks about your eagerness to attend if a provided medical grade mask were mandatory, if no food or beverage were available, and if children not fully vaccinated were disallowed into the rink. Then the one that has many of us talking this morning, if current public health orders, maximum 250 capacity in Canada Life Centre, remain in place, how would you feel if Winnipeg Jets home games were played in another jurisdiction without restrictions of fan attendance? So we know and we understand it's a business and the Jets have had three road games and five home games postponed. And that means there's been no ability to have fans in the seats. So we reached out to the Jets to ask about the survey. We also invited someone to come on and join us this morning. The response was simply to say, quote, we are exploring alternatives to playing in an empty building and are consulting with a number of stakeholders. No specific city was mentioned in that email reply. And as for the interview request, well, the Jets, Greg said, no one was available to join our show this morning. Yeah, so three important words there from Friedman's tweet are, it is believed, at least that's my opinion, Elliot is one of the premier insiders around the NHL, but the question which immediately comes to mind for me is this, Saskatchewan may currently have zero restrictions in place. Based on what's happening everywhere else in Canada, how long can you expect that to remain the case? So secondly, I have to ask, is there a possibility the Jets are looking at locations south of the border where there doesn't seem to be any restrictions on attendance to these events anywhere. You can uh, maybe recall the Toronto Blue Jays played uh, part of their home schedule in Buffalo last season, and the Toronto Raptors relocated to uh, Orlando or Tampa Bay uh, for uh, an entire, basically an entire NBA season. So one other thing I'd like to point out, Brett, according to multiple reports, Uh, The NFL has a backup plan for the Super Bowl should the COVID situation and restrictions in California come into play. The game is currently scheduled for the incredible SoFi Stadium in the Los Angeles suburb of Inglewood, February 13th. But I guess the big question and the conversation going on, does this feel like the Jets are trying to evade public health orders in Manitoba or are they plain and simply a business looking to do everything it can to generate as much revenue as possible? What are you make of this survey are you bothered by this is this a solid business move to find a way to keep precious revenues flowing we would love to hear from you 204-780-6868 you can shoot us a text or you can email mackling at cjob.com McNabb at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com we've got uh, one listener weighing in saying Earlier in the pandemic, didn't a younger hockey team get busted for dodging pandemic restrictions by practicing elsewhere? Exactly. I think there was a tournament here, and there were teams that came in from different provinces. I think the Saskatchewan team came here when they weren't supposed to be into provincial travel without uh, certain rules and quarantine. So, yeah, I I am not a fan of this, but I am trying to be open. So So let us know. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, before we talk about getting stranded, we're asking you to weigh in on the possibility of the Jets uh, playing home games on the road. So just very quickly here, Lorraine, what does Lorraine have to say on the text line? Yeah, all sorts of different texts. Some people saying, you know, they should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, Lorraine saying, hey, I never want to be without an NHL hockey team in Winnipeg ever again. If the Jets organization has to pivot to make money to keep an NHL team in Winnipeg, then pivot, pivot, pivot. Do what you have to do to keep the team in Winnipeg financially sound. And then she goes on to say, do you remember that feeling with no NHL hockey team in the city? Draw on that. Mackling, do I dare ask you, do you remember that feeling? I sure do remember that feeling, and I remember what it was like 10 years ago when the Jets came back and and the investment, not only financially, but emotionally that people have put into this team. And I think that's where the distinction and the and the differences in opinion are coming from, because this isn't just your regular run-of-the-mill professional sports franchise. There is a real buy-in on a different level in this city, and that's required in order to keep the Jets here, right? This is a 
one of the major four sports leagues in the smallest market in any single one of those four sports leagues. So there's a different relationship there between the fans and the hockey club. And I think that some people who take that relationship to heart in a different fashion are the ones having a real difficult time with this uh, potential move by the team. Okay, so we'll have more on the Jets coming up at 6.55, and we'll continue this conversation at 8.07. But right now... We have new one 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 There's a price to be paid for unruly passengers who filmed themselves partying on a charter flight from Montreal to Mexico. It appears are now stranded after three airlines refused to fly them home to Canada. Sunwing cancelled the return charter flight from Cancun, and Air Transat and Air Canada refused to carry them. Video of the December 30th flight shows unmasked passengers gathered in close proximity, singing and dancing in the aisle and on seats and passing what looks like a large bottle of vodka around. So that... Got us thinking, have you ever been stranded? So you can shoot us a text at 204-780-6868. Could be a serious story, or it could just be a silly story. Like, I don't know, one time I was in Osborne Village when I was in my early 20s, and I drank all my money away, and I couldn't afford to get home, so I had to call my dad at 2 in the morning. Dad, come, can you come pick me up? So I felt pretty <laughs> stupid about that. But he came and got me, no questions asked. So... Feel free to weigh in, and we'll start with Mr. Cameron Poitras. Well, the reason why I wanted to get my driver's license so bad was because I kept finding myself uh, waiting outside uh, football practice, whatever else I was doing, (laughs) waiting for my dad to come and get me. And I I just remember um, the last time it happened, it was two weeks before I got my license. And my twin brother, uh, Shane, he actually got his license uh, before I did. Because uh, I had a, a little bit of trouble on the road test one a couple times more than he did. But anyways, um, Canada's worst driver. But anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, we, um, uh, so I remember just sitting there outside football practice and I don't know where my dad was. I was trying to get a hold of him. He was supposed to be here 45 minutes beforehand. I'm not sure what he was a locksmith at the time before we retired. And, and, and I'm sure he was busy doing something. I don't know exactly what it was, but I remember sitting out there and saying, okay, this is it. This is the last time I'm sitting here waiting like a schmuck. Uh, while the lights are, um, the, the whole place is dark. Everyone else is gone. This is the last time it's going to happen, and it was the last time. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of experience of being stranded, and uh, happy to get my driver's license as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, freedom, it's that freedom that yes. comes with that license, right? Uh, Skylar, what about you? Yeah, Cam, I've uh, I've had several of those experiences, and my my dad, uh, he's a busy guy too, but he also just has no like sense of time. And I have uh, definitely picked that up from him. Um, so I, I remember vividly the, the final time and it just gets more excruciating the closer you get to getting your license too. It so does, I, I remember true. my final time uh, <laughs> waiting for a ride too. But uh, this, this one is so soft, you guys. Uh, I was like 10 years old and me and my dad uh, were out uh, at the Corral Center in Brandon. And I remember this is also as vivid as yesterday's story. Um, we were at Mark's Work Warehouse and, and my dad was trying some stuff on, I guess. So I was just kind of waiting outside. And I don't know, I went to, you know, browse around, I guess, because I was getting a little bored. Uh, all of a sudden, lose track of time and I can't find him. Uh, and I think he's left without me. So I go outside. I go around the corner to where we parked. Uh, he parked beside this white Ford Ranger and the white Ford Ranger was there and my dad's truck was not. So I immediately break down crying, run back into Mark's work warehouse, uh, tell the like attendant at the cashier that uh, my dad has left, left me in there. <laughs> and she like goes on the intercom and, you know, uh, paging Trevor Peters, can you please uh, go to the front desk? And he shows up and I'm like, well, where were you? He's like, I was still in the change room. So uh, anyway, I wipe up my tears and we, so then we leave after my dad gets his stuff and there are two white Ford Rangers. And I only saw the first one as I rounded the corner, not the second one that my uh, dad actually parked beside. But to think that my dad would have just abandoned me in Mark's work warehouse. Like what is going through your head, dude? (laughs) How old were you? I think I was like 10. Okay. Well, hey, I'd panic too. 10 years old. Come on. Uh, that yeah, would have been a horrifying moment. Um, Forte. When me and my friends were about 18, 19, we went camping, and this trip, like anything that could go wrong, went wrong. And uh, so the last day that we we're there, ready to pack up, uh, my buddy tries to pull his car up uh, closer to our tent so we could just empty out the tents, throw, throw, them, throw them in the car, and uh, on our way. But uh, as he tries to start the car, it's completely dead. So we try to get the neighbors to boost us, the neighboring campsite. 
And uh, nope, doesn't work. The park rangers, or whatever you want to call them, they tried. Nope, nothing works. So we were stranded there. We were three hours away from the city. And uh, so the, the park allowed us to stay there for an extra night for free. Boom. But then uh, <laughs> the next day, we had to get the car towed. And uh, my buddy's dad had to come pick us up. And uh, the weird thing was that once the car got to the shop, it started right away. No. Yes. So, yeah, our, my buddy's dad comes three hours to pick us up, three hours to drive us home, and the car started right away once it got to the shop. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we are in the process of updating our question of the day at cjob.com. It's going to have to do with the Winnipeg Jets, and uh, I see that we are getting... Reaction pouring in like an avalanche, just like the avalanche eviscerated the Winnipeg Jets yesterday. I love that aggressive headline at cjop.com. Uh, Greg, what does Tony have to say? Eviscerated, very accurate, uh, I would say, Brett. Uh, Tony says, I don't want to see the Jets leaving again. Whatever they need to do to stay in business, I'm in favor of. And then another listener says, don't get me wrong. I'm a Jets fan and believe that they are good for the city and need to do and should do what they can to keep afloat like any other business, but can't they can't expect and shouldn't receive government handouts at the cost of other more critical issues or be allowed to cheat the system when other struggling businesses and individuals don't have the same luxury. Go Jets. So uh, two fans uh, voicing their opinion there, and uh, they're both uh, essentially on opposite uh, sides of the fence. Huh? Continue to weigh in, 204-780-6868. From libraries to schools to hockey rinks, AEDs, automated external defibrillators, are increasingly being placed in public spaces to help people suffering from cardiac arrest. Yeah, but what happened in Sweden just a few weeks ago, it could be a first. And we're talking about this because it's just nice to highlight some positive healthcare news. And this involves a 71-year-old man out shoveling snow, in his home in Sweden when he started experiencing chest pains. And then, in his words, everything went black. The doctor just, a doctor just happened to be passing by. He rushed out to help this man with CPR and, of course, also called 911. And the doctor says about three minutes later, he heard a sound overhead, looked up, and there's this drone delivering a defibrillator. It saved the life. It helped to save life. All these things working together as the ambulance also showed up of the 71-year-old. And in Sweden, there's this partnership between the 911 system, researchers, and the company Everdrone that made this work, Greg. I think we're used to getting fascinating and wonderful pictures from drones, video images, and have even heard about Amazon and, and other businesses thinking about do, using drones for delivery. But could this kind of system work in Canada? Our next guest has been working with engineers at the University of Toronto to see how drones could assist in EMS responses. Dr. Sheldon Cheskis is the medical director, Sunnybrook Center for Pre-Hospital Medicine, and Dr. Cheskis joins us now. Good morning, doctor. Hi, good morning. So glad to hear this story, and you're right, Laura. The hearing a good news story during these times is, is something that's really welcome, and I always find when you combine healthcare and some wild technology, you really get people's interest. So, so this was the first, and I'm, I'm glad to be on to be able to speak to it. Well, I've been, uh, I've been uh, really uh, fascinated over the last decade plus how technology has played such an incredible role in healthcare, doctor. Uh, the Code STEMI program is something here in Manitoba where, you know, uh, cardiologists can start looking at your EKG before they even get to hospital. They can direct you to the right hospital. They can have the operating theater ready for you before you even get in the hospital in some situations. So, this is not new to integrate uh, technology into healthcare. No, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more with you. So, how close so how, are we to seeing this in some Canadian cities, Doctor? I think we're actually very close. So, we um, began our work in this at least four to five years ago, with when we work with engineers at University of Toronto to really map out. Um, if we put drone stations in certain areas in rural and remote communities, could we improve 
response times based on historical response times and EMS. And we found by mathematically modeling, we could significantly improve response times in rural and remote communities using this model. We then went on to do test flights where we actually did 911 scenarios where we compared response in a live situation between EMS and the drones and drones always got there first in our test flight. So we're at a phase right now where we're just fine-tuning the process of delivering uh, the drone with an AED to uh, the site of cardiac arrest. And hopefully if we can get through this last little hurdle, we'll be able to show Transport Canada that we can do it in a safe manner, similar to what the Swedes uh, have been able to demonstrate. So I would say we're very, very close. Would there be other applications for the drone to deliver any other kinds of services? Yeah, fantastic question. So we're going above and beyond. So uh, my area of research is out of hospital cardiac arrest, but we're developing now a medical drone. So can you imagine where I can send a drone to people in rural and remote communities where they don't have the same access to, to EMS. So I can put an EpiPen for anaphylaxis, naloxone for opioid overdose, uh, a stop the bleed kit for trauma, and put that all into a medical package with a FaceTime app so you can communicate to the, to the um, 911 dispatcher who can give bystanders information on how to use these devices. So yes, in my mind, there's tons of use of drones in time-sensitive medical emergencies, and we're just scratching the surface right now. We've seen the proliferations of these AEDs. I, I know we had one in our gym in our former location. You see them almost everywhere, doctor. Can anyone use one of these devices? So this is such a great question you gave me. So the, anyone can use them. But when we did our work, we did some qualitative research in some communities about our use of drones. And interesting, what we found is the citizens said, we love drones, but how the heck do you use an AED? <laughs> and that's the trick, right? So how do we, uh, AEDs are very simple to use, but you've never been taught on them. It can be mystifying for some, for some, um, for some bystanders. So here in the situation in Sweden, they got around that because there was a doctor on scene. What if there's not a doctor on scene? So what we're using now are smaller AEDs, simpler AEDs, very simple instructions on how to use them and try to get through to the bystander that patients in cardiac arrest you can't do harm to those patients they are in theory dead applying an AED doing CPR is the only chance of survival these patients have so to simplify the use they're incredibly easy to use uh, and I think anyone should be taught to use AEDs both in high schools as we teach CPR. Dr. Sheldon Cheska's medical director of Sunnybrook Center for Pre-Hospital Medicine joining us live to talk about drones and healthcare. Fascinating stuff, doctor. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate the time. Thank you so much for your time and fantastic questions. Stay safe, guys. 714 with Mackling McGarry McNabb. This is awesome. I, I'm also thinking of, you know, somebody who has had res, respiratory issues throughout yeah. my life, like you've maybe even having an asthma attack and your your buffer's empty, right? EpiPens. Uh, what about allergic reactions? Like there's a million ways you can, and those are small little things you can bring to somebody that's just going to make all the difference in the world. I, My mind is blown with everything he had to say there. It is, how about the ability to interact, sorry guys, to interact perhaps with a medical personnel on the other end of it, maybe there's a, you know, a screen, as he mentioned, and, and that ability yeah. to communicate back and forth and be walked through it. Oh, my word. Uh, the, uh, the uses here, I won't say are endless, but it's a very long, long list of possibilities being uh, created here. Yeah, and, and actually, as I think about it, if I if you can get a drone to deliver you some food, so I'll, I'll get the drone to drop in some fried oh, chicken, no. and no. then I'll need a follow-up drone no. to drop in the AED after I oh. go into cardiac arrest from my bad diet. There's like a special package for that, <laughs> two, in, two for one. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, we were talking about being stranded. And Loren, you ever been stranded somewhere? Yeah, a few times. This story is kind of serious. It was in 2006 when I was in Afghanistan and we had gone out with a convoy. I think we left the base at like five in the morning. It was very, very early. And at some point into our trip, we got 
one of the vehicles, the Bison's, an armored vehicle, broke down and we got stuck. And so like half the convoy moved on and we were stuck in this wadi, which is like a dry kind of riverbed. And we were there for hours in the heat and it was just like, you know, what are we going to do? And you can see the soldiers moving back and forth and trying to figure out where you sort of sitting ducks in this position. And night comes and the sun goes down and we're still there and we're making plans to sleep through the night. And then, I don't know, a couple hours later, you hear the soldiers starting to make moves and they MacGyvered something like they pieced together some parts to get this bison up and running and it crawled it crawled back to a road where we could then be picked up and we finally got back to base like almost 24 hours after we left and i'm only telling the story because it wasn't until the next day that the soldiers shared with some of the reporters the fact that like we were basically sitting ducks there at some point they realized that people were gathering in the poppy fields nearby and they weren't farmers and they're worried about an ambush and all the rest and so it went from this moment where you're like oh it really sucks to be stuck into heat to thank, thank God they got us out of there. And so that's wow. one of the stories that always sticks out. I, I'm not remembering all the details clearly. I just was reading a Global Mail story about it just now. And uh, far more dangerous than we ever knew. But uh, thank you, th- thankful to those soldiers who got us all out safely. Holy smokes. That is harrowing stuff. Mackling at 737. Can you top that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, mine involves a, a, a quarter, a Slurpee, and a stolen bus ticket. <laughs> Mackling McGarry and McNabb in a moment. The couch potatoes minus Jeff Braun. So Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb are going to pinch hit for the vacationing Jeff Braun. But uh, Greg... We were talking about being stranded, and what did you say your story involved? Uh, Slurpee? Uh, was it a stolen bus ticket? What was the story? <laughs> Here's how it goes. So uh, I grew up in the West End, but I played football for several years for the St. James Rods. And in our Bantam season, our practices were held way out at Westwood Collegiate. So I would take the bus three times a week and on, then on game days uh, out to Westwood from, uh, from the West End. Uh, the Palomino Club is the best reference in terms of where I grew up, just up the street from there. And so it was a Thursday night and we there were uh, myself and two buddies that played Bantam together. We were all three of us from the West End. So we took the bus to practice, practice for a couple of hours. And then walked up to the 7-Eleven at Portage Avenue and Rouge Road. Well, you could get a Slurpee for 25 cents in those days. And bus fare for students was also 25 cents. And uh, so we're leaving uh, 7-Eleven. And one of my buddies says, uh, do either of you guys have an extra quarter? I spent mine on my Slurpee. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't have an extra quarter. Do you have an extra quarter, Ted? No, all I have is this bus ticket. So we have three guys... We've just practiced football for two hours, carrying our own equipment, a quarter, and a bus ticket. So how are we going to get home? Well, one of us decides that we're going to rip that bus ticket in half, but, you know, from the front and the back, and sort of tear it and make two bus tickets. So the bus comes along on Portage Avenue. We get on. It goes two stops, and then it makes a right turn to go back into Westwood. We've got on the Westwood shuttle bus. (laughs) So we pull the we pull the dinger. We go to the front. We ask the driver for three transfers. He goes, "Well, I'll be happy to give you two transfers, considering you only paid two fares." Oh no! <laughs> so we got our transfers. We got off the bus, <laughs> and we hoofed it all the way back to the West End. And I just looked it up on the uh, on the map. It's nine point six kilometers from Westwood Collegiate to my old house on Golding Street. <laughs> it took us well over two hours to get home. Yeah, we didn't have a quarter to phone our parents either yeah. to say, hey, we're going to be a little bit late from football practice. To just say, <laughs> so, so to say it was in a little bit of trouble with mom when I got home, yeah. this is an understatement. <laughs> I just feel like, was she like a pull you by the ear, like, you know, drag you into your room kind of tactic? No, she was just a, a worrywart. She was always, yeah, she was just more concerned about where I was because I'd never really had a curfew growing up because I was ah. the good kid. I always came home when I was supposed to. So she was imagining all sorts of things had happened to me. So, uh, uh, there Wait a you minute. go. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm not just trying to say you're a bad kid, but you've had mm. multiple stories of like skipping, shall we say, and mm-hmm. doing, mm-hmm. but still the good kid. Okay. I just. I just... Yeah. Hey, it's all relative. Man. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, your poor brothers just got the sister got thrown under the bus there. Uh, so feel free to weigh in, 204-780-6868. If you've ever been stranded, tell us a story, whether it's something serious or something lighthearted. We'd love to share that. In the meantime, it's Friday just after 7.30. Forte, what does that mean? Some Harry Potter. Just had that uh, Harry Potter reunion special. I gotta watch that. You could tell what he's playing? Like, I literally have no idea. And I watched that a little bit of that reunion special. <laughs> Did you? What well, is that kid, on? Is that on Crave? Had, yeah, it's on Crave. They, I can't remember why, but the other day they stumbled across it. They didn't love it because they haven't seen all the movies, but... I heard that song over and over again. I did not know what was going on just now. Yeah, you did. That was no, Harry Potter, I didn't. right? 14? Oh, that was Harry Potter, all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Harry Potter is a magical, whimsical show. Last night, I got a sneak peek at season four, part one of a show that is anything but. So what's this message from Mexico is so important you had to drag us all in here? The Navarro cartel has been made aware that you intend to start producing heroin again. They have instructed us to warn you their response is going to be quick and it's going to be brutal. (laughs) We're just the messengers here. Ozark. I was looking for something to watch on Netflix and I... The Couch Potatoes were granted preview access by Netflix, so we usually have, I don't know, a dozen shows that we can check out, sometimes months in advance, so it can be hard to like not watch them because I, I want to watch them, but then three months later, I, then I have to do the review, so I usually try to keep it as close as I can. Ozark Season 4 Part 1 debuts on January 21st, so I watched the first episode last night. Now, the both of you watch Ozark, Ren, yes, you watch the Ozark? Yeah, I love it. I think that's a great series. And Mackling, you have been... Did you complete your rewatch? I did. I'm all ready to go. I'm like, I'm at the starting line. I'm waiting for somebody to fire the gun. When are they going to fire that pistol? Ozark, by the way, if you've never watched it, it's on Netflix and it stars Jason Bateman and Laura Linney as a couple who have to move from Chicago to the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri because Bateman was a finance guy, but he also did some money money laundering on the side for a Mexican drug cartel. And then he goes to the Ozarks where he has to launder more money for said cartel. And this, the shenanigans, and I, that's probably the wrong word to use because this is a deadly serious crime drama, but the stuff that this family has to go through is insane. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say that season one was good. Season two... Eh, season three was great. And season four, very excited. I can't say anything about season four until January 18th. That's when the embargo lifts. But um, let's just say, GMAC, I'm very, very excited. Okay, I'm going to take that. I've got a big smile on my face because uh, I also listen to Jason Bateman on the Smartless podcast. Mm. And he's been dropping hints as well So on there. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait for this. I also think what's kind of funny about that show that is as dark as it is, there are several times while watching it that I thought, I really got to get me to the Ozarks. Like, this is, looks like a really cool place. Yeah, I know. They, some of the parties they, that they have out in the... Just the on scenery the, and the boats, right? Yeah, it looks beautiful. Although I don't think, I don't think they actually shoot that show no. in... In uh, Missouri, I think it's shot in Georgia. So oh, come on. I've been meaning to confirm that, uh, like what, how much of that is, because um, the aerial stuff might be shot in the yes. Ozarks, but uh, uh, the on-location stuff no. is not shot there. You are trickery. More correct. Trickery. I'm looking right now. I got to get me to Atlanta? <laughs> no. But yeah, it looks like, I mean, it does look like like a cool place, but also kind of, um, it's sort of uh, the way that they shoot it in in combination with the music. It almost feels like, even though it's beautiful, it's sort of claustrophobic. Would you agree with that, Greg? Yeah, 100%. Uh, And I can tell you, not from personal experience, but secondhand experience, I partied with some people from that part of the world in Seattle years ago, and I saw pictures, I saw video. And uh, partying in the Ozarks is a little bit different than partying in Kenora. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. 
Okay, perhaps you'll have to tell me more off the air. It is coming up to 7.45. The Couch Potatoes podcast, by the way, is now available. It's the same show that airs on 680 CJOB Saturdays at noon and Sundays at 6, but you can listen to the podcast right now. I will tell you there is a new movie out this weekend. It's called The 355. It is an espionage thriller starring Jessica Chastain, Diane Kruger, Lupita Nyong'o, and Penelope Cruz. They have to save the world. All-star cast. It looks fun, but it's getting bad reviews, which is probably why it's debuting in the first week of January. Movies that debut in the first week of January do not tend to be very good. And a reminder that on Sunday, on Showcase, MacGruber makes its debut. It's getting great reviews. Started as a goofy Saturday Night Live sketch back in 2007. They made a movie in 2010, which was reviled at the time, but over time, apparently, it gets better with age. And now the show looks like it's actually pretty funny. So that starts on Sunday on Showcase. Mackling McGarry McNabb, we've got the sounds of the game coming up in four minutes' time. We also want to hear from Coach Cal, little boy who made Ellen cry. But before that, just some quick reaction. The Jets are looking to hit the road for their home game so they can play in front of fans. What's your take at 204-780-6868? Greg, go. Corrine says, good morning. I hope before our Jets fans get upset about the possibility of Jets games going to Saskatoon, they keep in mind that if we lose them due to financial losses, that would be even worse. They are still a business paying huge salaries to build the best team they can, and they need revenue to survive. COVID is hitting everyone, and if we really are in this together, then my hope of Jets fans is to support their decision. Kristen said, people pretending they are above the rules are why my workplace has been crushed by Omicron. We were untouched by every other variant. The Jets organization should be ashamed for even considering this. So you can continue to weigh in at 204-780-6868. We'll share more of your feedback and our question of the day at cjob.com has to do with just that. And I'll try to get that out on Twitter as well at 680CJOB. But in the meantime, after bringing international talk show host Ellen DeGeneres to tears during Wednesday's show, Coach Cal has returned home to Lakefield, Ontario. And of course, Coach Cal means something different in these parts, right? Coach Cal Murphy from the mid-80s through the early 90s here in Winnipeg, coaching legend. Global's Melanie Zettler interviewed the seven-year-old motivational speaker about the experience and asked him to give Canadians, quote, a pandemic pep talk. I knew my speech would be the best and it happened. So just keep working hard and staying positive and making people laugh because you are a legend. It was this motivating speech that brought talk show host Ellen DeGeneres to tears on Wednesday's show. So let's get fired up and go out there and get the W today and every day. Let's go Ellen! Seven-year-old Callan Perks of Lakefield, Ontario, caught the attention of the Ellen Show after he won the job of coach for a day for the OHL's Peterborough Peets. Here we go. Callan, also known as Coach Cal, gave the team this locker room lift that went viral. Legends are made every day, and you could be one of the greats. Back at home from Los Angeles, now on Canadian ice. Coach Cal, his twin sister Ella, and parents Crystal and Lara are still feeling like they all just got called to the big league. It was just so awesome to get that opportunity to give that speech Ellen on her last season. When she was starting crying, I really knew that was a team effort speech. Just this little boy from Lakefield, Ontario could touch such a big star and just the words that she said to him after was just amazing and incredible and I have to say I I know a lot of fancy people I know a lot of people and and what you just said to me means more to me than what I can possibly convey to you. The media requests keep pouring in to the Peterborough Pete's PR team. I've set him up with more interviews than even a guy like Mason McTavish, who is, you know, is a third overall NHL draft pick. If you're ever having a bad day, my brother will come and get a motivational speech and, and give it to you and then you'll feel all better. So Global News decided to give that a try, asking Coach Cal for a pandemic pep talk. For all the work you guys have all put in through this bad pandemic, everyone just keep working hard and staying positive like you guys all are. It's a bad time right now, but I, I, I want to make it a good time for all of you guys. And we will all get to W, everyone in Canada and USA and all those countries will all wanting to get that W 
Let's go, everyone! Melanie Zettler, Global News. You got the sounds of the game in 45 seconds, but I will admit that even my cold heart was warmed by Coach Cal, Greg. If you watch the story, he's so cute, and he's got these little teeth, and he's grinning, Greg, and he's talking to Ellen in locker rooms and real people. Oh, my gosh. And get the W. There's a couple of uh, nice Winnipeg references there without even noting and realizing it, Brett. Yeah, awesome stuff. I'm glad it made you smile eventually. Maybe the Winnipeg Blue Bombers should get in touch with Coach Cal and try to do some sort of a tie-in there for the W. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Before we do what we usually do every Friday just after 9 o'clock, Loren McNabb, coyote hazing. We're talking about that at 9.35. What's the deal with the coyote hazing? Well, we know urban coyotes are an issue in Winnipeg. And yes, we've gone into their territory, but in lots of sections of the cities on the perimeter area, you have coyotes kind of roaming the streets some nights. And so we're going to go to Edmonton, speak to a biologist there, an animal biologist, biologist, about how they're working to deter them through essentially a coyote hazing program, you know, that... If you use adversive conditioning, uh, in other words, make coyotes fearful of people, you can maybe get them to stay out of your uh, yards and parks. So we're going to have that chat. And of course, there's always a balance with that. I mean, we are encroaching on their territory. Where's the line? We'll uh, discuss that at 935. Greg, it's just after nine o'clock. Who do we talk to every Friday morning? Oh, our good friend from Channel 9, Cable 12, CKND, (laughs) host of the morning show, the Global News Morning our good friend Gabrielle Marchand. Good morning, Gabby. Good morning. I'm having the biggest dance party to party for two over here. I'm having a party for one, I guess. A dance party for one. You guys, I just booked my booster shot. I had to cancel it because my car died and blah, blah, blah. I won't get into it. But I just booked it for 10 a.m. at RBC. I'm so excited. Like today? Yeah, I'm getting it at 10 a.m. Woo, woo, woo. Nice. Yes, I'm very excited. Okay. Yes. Triple so, vax, baby. So are you basically just going to leave this segment and go through the concourse? To you know the- it. Skywalks. Okay. That's the way to go. Excellent. Sorry to hear about your car. Hey, it's all good. That's cold winters in Winnipeg, right? Fair. Do you he- still have your tooth? I have my tooth. <laughs> okay. Well done. <Yeah>. Then- <laughs> it was an interesting week. Like, lost the tooth. Then the car battery died. Got CA Manitoba. The car battery died again. The shower, the pipes were frozen, so the shower was cold. But you know what? The wine was still good, Loren, <laughs> and that's what matters. You got to always weigh the good with the bad, right? Oh, yeah, whatever. The positive versus negative column. I mean, the fact that uh, you can put more on the positive, I think there you go. So animals, I understand that you have a story about dog sitting, was it? Yeah, I was dog sitting my friend Perry's dog, Eugene, who's very sweet. Very, very sweet rescue pup. I know, right? And he looks like a little sweet old man. He's so cute. He came to stay with me, and Eugene is delightful. Eugene is very needy in the best way. Like, he will come stand at the bathroom. Like, I didn't get any privacy when I was going to the bathroom, when I was showering. Eugene was always there. But he also liked to be up on my couch. And my apartment is not really dog-equipped in that I have a green velvet couch. So you imagine what tons of white dog hair looks like like when eugene left my apartment i was like i don't know if my apartment's ever going to recover i love eugene but there's going to be dog hair on my couch for life but i uh <laughs> I, I brought a dyson vacuum from somebody and remedied the situation what kind of uh, dog was eugene sorry he's a he, he was a rescue i'm really not sure he's a, he's, a, he's a mutt he's a bunch of different things but he basically has tons and tons of really shedgy shaggy white gray hair <laughs> <laughs> like handfuls. Like, I think I'm still finding his hair on my clothes, honestly. Oh. I've washed them since then, but... How long ago was this? This was months. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. The hair, the hair takes a little while to, to go away. I don't know if it ever will. I think it's just in your, part of your ecosystem now. I hate to tell you that, <laughs> Gabby. Well, you know what? We both have, like, really dry white hair. So, you know what? Maybe some of it's mine. <laughs> Did, we had a listener yesterday say that they can make, was it mitts or toques, Greg, yes. out of your animal hair. Ah. So you can just put it together and then she sews it or spins it with wool. I don't know what magic Rapunzel stuff is happening, but it's with your dog hair. What? That's what? right. Yeah. So uh, I, I sent her a, a description of whiskey and she, and uh, what kind of dog whiskey is. So I'm going to collect whiskey hair, put it in a bag. <laughs> 
and then might end up with a whiskey mitts or a whiskey toque next winter. Uh, what uh. a romantic gift for your wife. I wish you could see You Brent's are wearing face. whiskey's hair on your head. How do you like that? We wear whiskey's hair every single day That's on so every true. piece of clothing anyway, so well, why not? I have two questions. One, um, I wonder if the same can be done for cat hair, because when I used to comb my cat Frankie and pull out the Furminator to brush his hair... There was always enough hair to build another cat, and I could I could have sat there for forever and and just and brushed him and brushed him and pulled hair out and I don't know it was like he would just was regenerating it instantaneously. But so I wonder if she could do it with cat hair. But two, what do you do? Like how do you de-allergify it? You know, if you're allergic to dog hair or cat hair, um, would wearing a, a toque made of said hair be? One way to get yeah, rid of somebody. Good. Yeah, not not good. <laughs> Here you, I got you, you this toque for Christmas. <laughs> Enjoy. Rub it all over your face before you put it on your head. <laughs> it's a neck warmer. Make sure to pull it up. Theme songs on Tuesday. We talked about favorite TV theme songs in honor of the late Betty White. So you gave me two ideas here. Which one do you want to go with? Let's go with Ted Lasso. I love Ted Lasso, you guys. I watch that show over and over. It's that show mm. where I can watch those short episodes and laugh. Many times. It's an excellent song for an excellent show. Someone told me this week that uh, Ted Lasso is the greatest show ever, and they would fight me if I disagreed. Oh, wow. <laughs> so did you disagree or what? No, I didn't. I, I said a little, I'm not, I don't, best show ever? I, that's, I don't know that I can agree with you on that one. That's a so. strong statement. Wow. I think that's more of a statement of where people are at rather than the quality of the show because I right people like it because it's you need to have a laugh once in a while yes. and I think that's why you're like this is the greatest show ever because it's not making me think about like selling drugs in Ozark or herding cattle in Yellowstone or you know like <laughs> okay Yellowstone though you guys oh Love that one as well. I like this because it's Marcus Mumford. Like, I love Mumford and Sons. So I think he does a lot of the music for Ted Lasso, actually, which is kind of cool. I think you are correct. Yeah, I don't watch Yellowstone. Do you watch Ozark? No, I haven't watched that one yet, but I have binged most shows on most streaming services, and I'm always looking for a new one. So Ozark, Loren, are you into that? It may very well be next for me. Oh, yeah. No, it was good. And then Greg just went back and rewatched it so that he's ready for the next season that's coming out in a couple weeks. So... Yeah, I, I think it's a good one. It is not going to make you feel like Ted Lasso does. You <laughs> no, are going no, to feel... No, no, you Well, you know what? You'll feel that your life is better than the life they're living, but that's, that's about it. That's a good point. You know what, though? Sometimes, I think we were talking about this. The Witcher... No, I was talking about this online with some CGOB folks. The Witcher or a fantasy show, even though they can be really violent and dark, some, somehow because there's a fantasy element, it doesn't feel as depressing as a show that's about crime and violence that could actually happen in real life, you know? And The Witcher stars Henry Cavill, who is a very large, hulky man, right? Yeah, you know what? I don't watch it for him. I mean, don't get me wrong. Of course, he's objectively very handsome. I probably yeah. watch it for just his character. Like, he's always just like, mm. I love a character that just grunts <laughs> all the time. Mm. He is very good at that. He's so grumpy. And some of the things he says when he cuts people down, like not, he, he literally cuts people down with his sword. <laughs> but when he just verbally cuts them down, what he's a great. talent. Yeah. <laughs> Gabrielle Marchand is the host of Global News Morning weekdays from six until nine. Mm. Uh, and you're on your way to get the booster shot. Congrats. Happy Friday, everyone. Stay safe. Stay warm. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, just want to give you a quick heads up. Uh, this organization reached out to us on our Instagram at 680CJOB. We'd love for you to follow us there. We get lots of great story ideas from our Instagram account. And uh, they're called Ice Cycles. WPG, Ice Cycles Winnipeg, and they're having a launch event tomorrow from 1 until 3 p.m. at Borkvale Community Center at 100 Ferry Road. And um, it's it's an ice cycle. They say it's the first of its kind in Canada. And looking at this thing, I'm not even sure how to describe it, but it's like a... Two bikes side by side, but they're sort of rigged into this contraption where instead of having a front wheel... It's a front skate, so that's kind of neat. So you've got back wheels, 
but skates on the front and you can ride in tandem with somebody and it looks like there's even room to uh, like a basket in the middle if you have a, a child with you that you can bring along for the ride so that looks like something that's super neat so we're going to endeavor to learn more about this i think uh in the coming how days. how are you going to learn more Oh, you Go want me to put there? on the biathlon suit? Yeah, I don't know why you're so against this idea. Biathlon <laughs> Brett has been born, and you're denying your inner self the pleasure of biathloning on an ice bike. Just That could be like... a triathlon. Yes, th- thank you, Greg. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Brett, come on. Get into it just for us, please. There's yeah. not a lot of things to get excited about these days, and I'm frankly quite excited for you in a biathlon suit. Um, Well... I, no, I don't think you'd be all that excited about it as I slap slap at the belly. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is very tight. This suit is very tight. <laughs> um, I got to ask you a question, G Mac, because uh, I think you've I think you've said that you have seen them before. But have you seen a coyote or a coyote in your neighborhood lately? Uh, Tuesday morning, in fact, I got up early to go and do my uh, regular morning routine, ran to the Tim Hortons at, uh, what is that, Headmaster and La Jumodière. And so I took a DeVries that runs parallel to La Jumodière, and I could see these shadowy figures in front of me, and they were sprinting. Uh, it was unmistakable what they were in the shadows. And then as I got closer, I could see they were, in fact, two coyotes or two coyotes, if you like that uh, were sprinting north on DeVries coming out of the neighborhood where I live. They'd they'd popped out of a backyard or something. There's also a hydro line that runs uh, diagonally north from basically all the way from downtown northeast out of Winnipeg. So they could have come from anywhere along that route as well. But yeah, they sprinted right across Lajemodiere Boulevard over to the dog park. That's a great, great spot for them to be over at Kilcona Park. So yeah, they are a regular visitor to this part of the city. No doubt about it. They're a regular part. They're kind of cool to see, depending if you're in your car or if you're walking, you might not be so Mm -hmm. happy to see them because they are a concern for your dogs, your pets, and maybe even yourself. And so the story out of Edmonton really caught our attention for this reason. It involves a project looking at the impact coyote hazing can have on keeping the animals at bay. Global's Nicole Stilgar explains. In this neighborhood of Twin Brooks in South Edmonton, Councillor Jennifer Rice says coyotes have become an issue. I think the major concern right now and then is about the coyote's behavior become more aggressive. There's brand new signage here warning people about coyote sightings. Rice says recently one attacked two dogs in the area while they were on a walk, badly injuring them. It's starting like uh, uh, approach to human beings and follow us, that is what I heard. There's ongoing research out of the U of A looking at how to manage urban coyotes. A study shows aversive conditioning, also known as hazing, is an effective deterrent. In other words, make them fear people. The idea is we subject animals to something they find aversive and they learn to avoid people or the places where people occur because of it. Colleen Cassidy St. Clair runs the Edmonton Urban Coyote Project, documenting sightings and their behavior. She says last year, volunteers in dozens of neighborhoods saw coyotes 64 times and found the animals retreated when approached most of the time. Nicole Stilger, Global News. Okay, so Colleen Cassidy St. Clair is a professor of biological sciences at the University of Alberta, and she was featured in that story. Good morning, Colleen. Oh, good morning, Manitobans. How are all of you? We're good. I have a very hard-hitting question first. Coyote or coyote? Which is it? Oh, no controversy. They're both right. <laughs> okay, good. I get thrown when I hear coyote. I, I've always said coyote, but either way, however you do it, we'll continue on. Uh, you run the Edmonton Urban Coyote Project. What's it all about? Uh, it's a project I started in 2009 when we noticed in Edmonton that, that coyotes, I say, were more and more common. I was curious about how it is they make a living in cities, partly because I thought if we understood that, we could reduce conflict with them and maybe we could help the animals that don't do so well uh, living with people. So we studied them with uh, GPS collars, we studied their diet, we studied how they moved around. And in this phase of the project, we're studying how we can teach them to be a little more wary of people, as you explained in your intro. So this is uh, as much about 
keeping them safe is keep, keeping us safe. Is that fair to say, Colleen? Yeah, it's a perfect way of putting it. Um, coyotes that are really bold in, in residential neighborhoods and that are comfortable walking around during the day and approaching people and pets, or even, though it's still rare, it, it happens, even attacking people and pets, those coyotes are pretty unwelcome, understandably. And uh, if that behavior continues, it occurs repeatedly, and especially if people are bitten, then those coyotes in, in most cities are removed. They are They are killed. So it's uh, much better for the coyotes to be taught how to be wary around people, how to run away if they see people, and and stay out of or be really careful and, and stealthy in in residential neighborhoods. That's much better for them than being bold. So what do, what do you mean by hazing? Uh, it's kind of a funny term, and it always conjures for people, you know, some unpleasant memories from high school or a sports team. And in a sense, it's similar because we're intentionally harassing these animals by doing things to them that they're not going to like. The more technical term, aversive conditioning, is uh, a reference to learning theory. And um, in psychology, it might be called punishment. So it means we add some stimulus that they naturally dislike. In our case, we chase them and we throw tennis balls that have been weighted with sand to make them more accurate to throw. And we make noise, and uh, that combination is something they naturally don't like, and we're trying to make them associate that with something they might feel ambivalent about or, or even positive about people. So we're teaching them not to trust people, all people. And our hope is that our volunteers can teach coyotes that relationship with people, and then they will give all people in neighborhoods a wide berth, including people that feel vulnerable and wouldn't be comfortable chasing coyotes or might be walking with uh, small pets or, or children. So it's kind of a community approach to increasing the, the safety in residential areas. So that kind of ties into what I was was going to ask until you mentioned sort of this balance here, because there will be people who say, like, you know, this hazing idea or adversive conditioning isn't really fair considering we built homes and are, we're, we're always encroaching onto uh, the habitats of wildlife. And so the idea of living together is, is that more what this is about? Finding a balance of how to work around one another? Yeah, that's exactly right, Lauren. We're trying to uh, appreciate the fact that, yes, it's true to some extent that urban areas are are extending into rural areas where coyotes lived before, but it's also true that coyotes are really adaptable, flexible animals, and they are moving into cities, and, and some studies have shown they occur at much higher densities in cities than the surrounding area. So we do need a balance, and uh I think if we just let coyotes do whatever they want, jump into yards and eat a chihuahua, for example, um, the the broader societal tolerance for these animals goes down. And uh, so we need to have a balance where people feel that the animals are in check and and they can feel secure in their own yards. Uh, They can feel secure about their pets and their children while coyotes still live among us. That's the balance we seek. Colleen, I've heard of an animal called a koi wolf. Does that sound right? Yes, occasionally coyotes do hybridize with wolves. Eastern coyotes have done that as uh, as wolves were becoming rarer and rarer in the east and coyotes were becoming more common. They, they hybridized. Both species prefer their own kind, so they, they sort of only do that when they just can't find one, uh, a mate of their own kind. But there's a large uh, signature of wolf DNA in eastern coyotes. That's part of why they're bigger and and some people say more aggressive. So, yep, that's the thing similar with koi dogs. Okay, koi dogs. So, uh, you know, there are some places in uh, the eastern United States, I think maybe even in southern Ontario, where they have a a real problem with uh, some of these hybrid animals. Is that right? Well, there's a lot of uh, disagreement about whether the reason that eastern coyotes seem to be fairly fairly aggressive is because of their their wolf uh, heritage. Um, it can be argued both ways. Domestic dogs are all descended from wolves. None of them are descended from coyotes. So wolves are actually the more um, easily domesticated of the two species. Nonetheless, uh, they're bigger, and um, in in any case, people don't want to to meet aggressive um, members of the dog family, whether they're coyotes or wolves or dingoes or wild dogs. 
even foxes can cause some conflict. Really? The foxes I follow on Instagram are so cute and cuddly. <laughs> Those are only some of the foxes. <laughs> yeah, they, they also have uh, taken... I had one steal my golf ball once, so I wasn't too oh, yeah. happy about that. Um, so do, could you see your work then expanding to other parts of Canada? Yeah, I, I've been chatting with folks in Vancouver. You might know that they had quite a problem in Stanley Park with coyotes last mm. year. 45 people were bitten in Stanley Park. What they found there was that those coyotes had been fed, um, in many cases, intentionally by people. And what we know more generally about carnivores is that when they learn to associate people with food, that's called food conditioning, conflict always results. So number one important thing to do to avoid conflict with coyotes is make sure they're not being fed by people. And that might be intentional, people leaving out meat, for example. But usually it's unintentional. People just underestimate that coyotes are attracted to garbage, to compost, to bird seed, to fallen fruit, even fruit that's still on trees. They can climb trees to get it. And the deer, is the deer part of the situation, Colleen? Like the deer population, when you talk about the food connection, people might be feeding them. But if the deer population is high, is that an influencer? Yeah, another good point, Lauren. It is. um, Coyotes. Uh, definitely prey on deer, and that surprises people sometimes. But they do it in a couple of specific ways. So they're more likely to take young young deer, fawns, than older animals. But they can even take down adult deer by working as a group, as as wolves do. So that's part of their flexibility. They're quite capable of doing that. Usually, that would be a family group of uh, a pair of of older adults plus their their offspring from a previous year. So I I get reports from people, especially in the edges of Edmonton, pretty often describing what looks like uh, a predation event by coyotes on deer. Well, Colleen Cassidy Sinclair, Professor of Biological Sciences at the University of Alberta, thank you very much for joining us to talk about coyote hazing. You're super welcome. Thanks for your interest. It is 9.49 on 6.80 CJOB. <laughs> we used to have a colleague here who was adamant. It's like, it's not coyote, it's coyote. I know, I know. And I'm, I'm now wondering, like, the origins of the coyote. Is because of Wiley Coyote, like the rhyming? Probably. Yeah. Kind of like- Guys, can I jump in real quick here? Yeah. Yes, breaking, please, because you have good breaking, news. Yes. Yes, I do. More breaking news out of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers camp. Winnipeg Blue Bombers have agreed to terms on an extension with CFL All-Star Defensive end Jackson Jeffcoat. The Blue Bombers today announced the club has agreed to terms with the All-Star American Defensive end on a one-year contract extension, just like Willie Jefferson earlier this morning. Jeffcoat was scheduled to become a free agent next month. Well done, Blue Bombers. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.